Hey everybody, this is John Tatey welcoming you back again to Pop Mom, the podcast where culture is relative. Yes, it's time again for my mom, Bonnie Tatey, you know where you love her, to share her view of pop culture, small town life, and you know, we've got to talk about the riddles of human nature. On this episode, mom reviews the satirical drama miniseries, The White Lotus. Ooh, a lot of people are talking about this one. Let's bring mom in now. Hi, mom. Hi, Johnny. How are you? I'm good. So exciting to get our new season started last week. And uh, I am very much looking forward to talking about our show this week. Uh, but of course, we have other business to attend to first. Yes. How are, how, how's life in Wilmot? Life is very uh, sedate, more sedate than I ever imagined after, of course, having you and your family here for two weeks, which was like a whirlwind of where did my time go? Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and I enjoyed it very much. Uh, I did have a little follow up with Eve yesterday, who was who was not tired. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes. That's and. Right and told me that she did not miss Toonie the Tuna, so... Oh, really? Yeah, yes. Toonie the Tuna of uh, Me TV fame. Anyway, she was not tired. I just want you to know that. Yeah, she told me as much um, a number of times yesterday. Okay. And I uh, say to I her, well, that's exactly the way that a tired person would <laughs> would say that they're not tired. And for some reason, this only makes her angrier. Yeah. Anyway, I wanted to tell you. And then I wanted to discuss with you a little bit. I went blueberry picking myself the other day. Oh, again. Again. I went again uh, because there were different varieties of blueberries available. And the day we went was a little overcast, and... There's different varieties of blueberries? Yes. Some are sweeter, some are bigger. Yeah. Wow, the world of blueberries is an expanse. I had no oh. idea. Yeah, yes. the, the day we all went, it was kind of cloudy. It was kind of a good day to go blueberry picking, actually. Um, but Yes, it's... and didn't I find that out? <laughs> oh, Oh, really? Was the sun yes. blazing down on you when you went the, by yourself? Yes, but not a problem. That was not the problem. Oh, okay. The problem was that it brought out everybody. And honestly, if you oh. stood there and wrote down all the stupid things that people say or that the, or that the millions of people, I exaggerate, all say the same thing, you would just about... Uh, you, you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it. If I heard one more pe person say, oh, look, Susie, here's the biggest blueberry. Here, I have the biggest blueberry. <laughs> no, I'm keeping this one right in my pocket. It's the biggest one. No, no, Harry, don't do that. Don't put it in your pocket. Uh more discussions about the size of blueberries than you ever want to hear. Yeah, I did and note that the blueberry farmers themselves maintain quite a distance from the actual picking. They don't want to be a part of of that whole no, mess. You just meet no. up with them back at the at the garage, at the HQ, up at the top of the hill, <laughs> and then they're like, go, leave us alone. We don't yeah. want to hear it. 
Well, there is a lot of inane conversation that goes on. And because it was sunny, it was very uh, packed. And it occurred to me, and, and this is my question, what is the point? I can go to the farm stand and get local blueberries for what, a dollar more, a pound or a pint or whatever. Why am I torturing myself not only with the sun, but with these annoying people and all their, their you know, they want to talk. I don't want to talk. I just came to commune with nature and pick a few blueberries. Why, what is the point of it? I'm not even sure. What is the point of blueberry picking? Yes. Well, everybody had a good time blueberry picking when we went. Well, all right. You yes, were there a... for very utilitarian purposes. I don't think it's, uh, you know, it's not It's not like you're suddenly a farmer. But people are always saying, oh, yes, this is our yearly trip. Maybe it's only fun in a group. I think, I think so, yeah, because, again, you're just doing farm work. Right, for free. Well, the farmer needs me to come and pick those blueberries. <laughs> Maybe so. Um, well, in terms of things overheard at the blueberry patch, nothing will top. I won't name any names, but, you know, we've been talking. <laughs> we've been talking You're... for days leading up to this blueberry picking. Blue we're going blueberry picking. We're going blueberry picking. And then as we're, we have our buckets and we're finally walking to the patch, and one member of our party, again, I'm not going to name names, um, but some, you know, an adult, not a, not a you, kid. Oh, one member of our party. You are so brave. You are so brave. <laughs> As we're approaching the patch, says, so what are we looking for here? <laughs> I almost about dropped dead. I mean, I partly understood it because the word, the word blueberry had almost lost all meaning by the time we even got to the field. But <laughs> the, the whole instructions for the activity are contained in the name of the activity. <laughs> blueberry picking. <laughs> oh, man. I almost oh. died. I would have laughed the whole time if Eve hadn't got stung by a bee about 10 seconds after we yes. started. I had to yes. deal with that. And and I have to tell you, I really I I find your bravery uh, admirable, <laughs> and you definitely are going to have to pay for that one. I didn't name any names, but boy, all right, whew, that was a funny well, one. Well, I like. <laughs> what are we I looking like, for here? <laughs> yeah, what are we looking for here? And I responded very quickly, blueberries. <laughs> <laughs> And then I just realized this whole thing was a mess and yeah. back out. Blueberries, like, anyway, it was it was very funny to us, but <laughs> it's not it's not going to be funny to some people. That's all. Okay, so your your blueberry picking was a bust. Any other excursions lately? Yes, I also went back to Arnie's uh, because. For some reason, when Arnie's, we went, let me fill oh, people yes, in. I'm Arnie's sorry. is the uh, like hot dog and ice cream stand in uh, Concord, New Hampshire's capital. Um, and uh, we talked about visiting Arnie's last week on the podcast. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you returned to? Are you just reliving all of the trip that we took there, revisiting the sites? It's a little early for nostalgia, Mom. We just got home. <laughs> Can it ever be too early? Yeah. 
All right, so, so return to Arnie's in search okay. of the Land Rover jerk. Is that what? Yeah, no, yeah. no. I went back to Arnie's, and this is why. Because when we went, we had, I had a cheeseburger and some onion rings, and I really didn't have any room for ice cream afterwards. And so for some reason, I figured, well, on this day, I could do all the parts, which I, I couldn't. Unfinished business. <laughs> which I couldn't. And I thought when I was done lunch, I thought, well, how stupid are you? Why did you really think this was going to be any different? However, that is not the crux of my story. My story is this. I'm sitting and eating my lunch. A car pulls in and gets out with a dog that has one of those orange, I'm a particular kind of dog coats on. I don't know if it's a service dog oh, okay. or, yeah. 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 or a, it's some kind of a dog. It's a dog that's, that's at work, basically, you're looking at, right? Okay, right. Yeah, it's not, a, it's not your average idiot dog. This dog is a licensed professional. Right. Mm -hmm. To do something that I couldn't read from my seat. And the owner takes him over to this, you, and you know how much grassy area there is at Arnie's. <laughs> at Arnie's, very little. It's a parking lot with a with an ice cream shop in the middle of it. Yeah, and a there's an edge of <laughs> that's right grass. Yeah, and she takes her dog over to the area where there are two picnic tables, and has him we on the legs of all the all the uh, picnic table legs, four of them, mm -hmm. because it's a boy dog and they're idiots. And uh, and then he poops. Oh, great. And, a little soft and she, serve. And she just leaves it there. <laughs> she just leaves it there. Uh, and goes around to the other side of the building and orders ice cream. You know, I just want to say that when the 9-11 towers went down and people were so devastated and it just seemed we couldn't be kind enough to, to others because we were all hurting so badly and we really opened up our hearts and lived life the way many people profess we should live our lives. And it seems like we've come so far from that that people just don't care. I, I just am seeing a lot of this, and it's disheartening. Well, I mean, I'm sure that on September 12th, there were pe plenty of people letting their dogs crap and not picking it up still. Um, but... Uh, there does seem to be a little more selfishness in the air lately. I don't understand it. You know, we've come through a pandemic and we certainly are at odds with with opinions and whatnot. But still, what about just a little humanity? Well, I'll tell you what I think is part of it. I think we've just been through a year where we were in a situation where I think most people's instinct was to, or at least 
I'll say most, I think people's instinct was to look for leadership, right? We're in this confusing, sudden crisis, and you were looking for someone to tell you what the hell to do. I mean, uh, every day, right? We're in the middle of this pandemic. I would be down in the basement at the end of the day after everyone had gone to bed, worrying and crying and thinking about how do I protect my kids? How do I protect myself? And I feel like my worldview changed a little bit, not in, not towards unkindness, I'm not going to say, but you kept reading article after article or seeing segment after segment or wherever you were getting your information where you'd get a thousand different variables and at the end of it, you'd have some experts saying, so everybody has to make a decision for themselves and everybody has to judge their personal level of risk. And I would just say, would you please just fucking like, tell me what you would do at least. Yeah, yeah. But no, it was everybody for themselves. And... I get it. You know, I get that you want to respect people's personal choices, but I feel like in conjunction with our losing faith in every institution and the, like the CDC, I think a yeah. few years ago you would have said, oh, the, now those people are pros. We can trust right. them, right? Of course, the, you know, the political leadership was uh, on the national level, at least, was a total disappointment. We don't need to get too deep into that. But I think it, uh, you know, at least in me, it did bring out this, you got to look out for your own self and for your own people. Now, I still, you know, I still care about people in general. So I don't think it made me more unkind, but I do get how people are turned a little more inward because I think the takeaway from a lot of what was put on us over the last year is nobody's going to save you. You're in it for yourself. Yeah. So you see it come out and like preppers, you know, and I think you see it come out and people buying guns like crazy, which they have been over the past year. Yeah. And I think you would emerge in people just being even less aware than they were before of the surrounding people. Yeah. Because they've been isolated so much. So I do think there's something to what you're saying in terms of we got to relearn a little bit how to be thoughtful of each other and care about each other, not necessarily in a deep kumbaya way, but in a, hey, you're trying to get through your day and so am I way, so we're going to look out for each other, right? Just like civility. We need to uh, re-exercise that muscle a little bit. I do think it's true. I I would like to really say that. it's. uh, um, And then let me just tell you this. When I went into the to the guest bedroom after you left, I saw that the lamp in there was um, broken. Not not because of you, but no, you know, yeah, it was the, bro- yeah, the switch. Yeah, broke. yeah, yeah. So I say, oh, I have to go get a, a new lamp, and uh, so I I, w- I was in Concord, and I went to Marshalls, <laughs> and I got two lamps, and the the girls, the ladies at the checkout you know, said, oh, can we help you out? Because they were unwieldy. Can we help you out to the car with these? And I said, yes, that would be, I would really appreciate that so much. And, you know, she chatted and we walked out to the car and put the lamps in securely. And I thought, "What what a rainbow of situations I encountered in coming out today. <laughs> yeah, 
No kidding. That was so nice. It was beautiful. It was so, you know, they're they're busy too. Um, yeah. But but could tell, you know, the lamps didn't really fit in a cart and you can't take the cart out of this particular mm. store and just okay, let me let me just help you. And I said, "Oh, I hate to bring you out here. It's so hot. Oh, a little fresh air is good for me." And wow, I just I was really blown away by it. There you go. Okay. Uh, well, I'm glad we ended this uh, this part of the podcast on an up note then, because there yes. are up notes out there as well. And oh, yes, 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 yes. I'm not trying to paint. No, not at a... all. Yeah, okay. Not at all. But um, yes, there, there are acts of kindness out there, and I experienced them as well. And I, and I encountered so many nice people in our visit to uh, New Hampshire, because... Um, Whatever you want to say about New Hampshire is, uh, I do think it's a generally laid back, hey, live your life state, right? Right. May not be perfect, but that is part of the culture up there. All right. Most definitely. Good stuff. Thank you, Marshalls. Yes. What a fine uh, department store. Yeah. Great. Okay. I just got to read this uh, little sponsor plug. Uh, This segment of Pop Mom is brought to you by (laughs) Macy's. The high prices at Marshall's getting you down? Well, why not go across town to Macy's? We'll beat their price and with no. friendly... Oh, my. What a terrible coincidence this is. That we Listen had... to me. Listen to me. I'm going to tell you something. These two lamps I bought had tags on them for $39. And then one of them also had a tag on it for $26. And so when I got to the checkout, I said... I'd like these lamps. They're the same, but I'd like them for the $26. And the, and the girl said, let me check on something. And she came back and she said, these just haven't been put on clearance yet. They're $20 each. Holy moly. Okay, but I got to finish this, uh, no, this, no, this ad no. copy here. So avoid the scum <laughs> at Marshall's and head on over to your local Macy's. God, no. this is unfortunate. Oh, man. That's and not true. No, not true. Thank not you. True. Thank you, Marshalls. Uh, for sponsorship opportunities, email popmom at ological.net. Uh, if listen, anyone from Marshalls wanna... is listening. <laughs> listen, listen, I also want to tell you, if you like great big bars of soap, Marshalls is the place to go. <laughs> I love How big great... do you need your bar of soap to be? I like those great, those big ones. Mm. You know, like those big ones. I like that square, little square shampoo bar you got for me. I use those exclusively now. That's well, the they're stuff. for your hair. No, I know. they're for I'm everything. U- I know. I'm using one of them now because you started one. So. Yep. Yep. While you were here, so I can't get to my apple, crisp apple soap yet that I got from Marshalls. <laughs> apple crisp soap. No, crisp apple. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how you can smell crisp, but just give it a try. Okay, okay. Crisp apple soap. Yeah. All right. Well, we have that to look forward to. Should we talk about our show for the week, Mom? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, this week, Mom and I are talking about the White Lotus. Uh, and the White Lotus, by the way, is a suggestion from loyal listener Anna H. Send your suggestions to the Pop Mom mailbox. It's popmom at ological.net, like I said. Uh, 
Uh, and The White Lotus is a show about a bunch of white folks who go to this really nice, although not perfectly nice, resort in Hawaii. <laughs> you got the family of a Silicon Valley power player, a pair of rich newlyweds, a grieving, aging daughter in search of meaning. They go to The White Lotus, perhaps to escape their neuroses, but because this is TV, instead their neuroses blossom in the light of the lotus, evolving and tangling together in ever more complicated ways as the show adds layer after layer to its cast of characters. Here's a clip. She was a neoliberal warhawk. She was a neolib and a neocon. I'm sorry, did you say Hillary Clinton? Something about Hillary Clinton? Nothing, Mom. Oh, I was at the trendy thing they're teaching now to hate on Hillary Clinton. Mom, don't get triggered. Hillary Clinton is one of the most influential women of the last 30 years, and many women in my generation very much admire Hillary Clinton. Okay, don't worry about it, Mom. We all love Hillary Clinton. How was the snorkeling? Did you see the little sharks? Nope. Didn't see much. No? Well, go first thing in the morning, take a little bread, and they'll swim right up to you. It's like a Disney movie. <laughs> Slightly scary Disney movie. Excuse me. What? What is it? Um, Lonnie's in your office, having a baby. What? Who's Lonnie? Katrini. What do you mean she's having a baby? She is in labor. Lonnie, the trainee, is having a baby in my office. That's not possible. What's happening? Oh, fuck. Oh, my gosh, I have to tell you something. I have to tell you. I had the most amazing treatment today. You know, I've had a lot of treatments in this lifetime. And I swear to God, the one that I had today was probably the best treatment I've ever had. It was incredible. I'm really sorry, was. madam. I'm needed in the office. Okay, so but listen, listen. I have a massage scheduled for tomorrow. And um, I want to request Belinda. Belinda is the best. I'll make a note. Can you help me with that? I'll make a note. All right. The White Lotus is available to members of the HBO content app Multiverse. Mom, if the White Lotus were a hotel room, would it be a luxurious pineapple suite or a humdrum palm suite? Uh, do I have to pick one? Yeah. No, here's what I mean. Do I have to pick one? That's what I mean. I... Oh, 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 I see. Oh, okay. So this is a, an enthusiastic. Are no. You, no? <laughs> oh, oh, I see. You want, you want like the janitor's closet. That's the suite <laughs> you're, you're putting this show in. Just tell me oh, what you thought of the goddamn show, Ma. I, I absolutely hated it. <laughs> oh, what? Oh, oh. Honestly, I, oh my God, there's nobody to like, there's nobody to hang your, your, okay, well, I don't like them, but let's get back to so-and-so. Every one of these people are to be avoided like the plague. And let me just tell you, let me just tell you, the first episode, I spent a good deal of it with my chin resting on my ample bosom when the father displays everything, everything. Yeah. I couldn't have been more shocked. I watched Game of Thrones and saw less. This guy thinks he has 
testicular cancer and chose us. <laughs> yes, it was so does. gross. Oh, it was gross. Yes, he does. So the um, uh, Steve Zahn plays Mark Mossbacher, who, yeah, is the dad in this family. His wife is the Silicon Valley CEO. She runs one of the leading uh, search engines uh, globally. Um, played by Connie Britton quite uh, beautifully. But yeah, Steve uh, Zahn is obsessed with his balls. You know, um, it's funny, I was watching the credits and the uh, the opening titles, um, and the first time I'm seeing it and everybody's name comes up and the motif for the um, opening credits is like shots of wallpaper that you might wallpaper. see on the suites of this. It's quite a beautiful opening. Beautiful. Um, and so each, as each name of the cast comes up, you see a different picture, a different, you know, maybe it's a palm frond or a blossoming flower. And Steve Zahn's name comes up uh, next to, uh, and the image for him is this fruit that has these two droopy lobes on it. <laughs> and as soon as I saw it, I said, okay, so this, this guy's going to have some issue with his balls. Like that's oh. the sort of... That's the visual pun that's happening here. And I did not expect to be proven so right so immediately. But yes, very early on in the first episode, um, we see uh, clearly, uh, I mean, it looked to me prosthetic. It didn't seem to have quite the liveliness of a real ball sack. But in any case, it's quite a sight. Well, what's the difference? I mean, unless yeah. you're, why, what's, why use a, a stand-in? I mean, well, why not? Somebody's well, got to keep the prosthetic testicle people in business and <laughs> might as well be the white lotus. They need work. I well, and, and it was kind of sad because, of course, the story just moves along. And I'm saying to daddy, wait, were those were they big? Were they? And if you and if you roll back on our HBO Max, it, you know, it just gets everything all screwed up. So oh yeah, HBO is the worst. You had to you had to see them or or miss them, and I did see them. But then you know there was no time to really study them, and uh, I I mean, how would you feel if you were that actor? It was like, hey. Here I'm holding up a a pretend, like I'm not good enough to. Oh, I don't know. Let's talk about something else. This is so embarrassing. Well, it's halfway between real and metaphor. He starts out concerned with his balls, convinced that he has cancer, um, and in fact insists on it as he's waiting for the tests. You know, his his wife's right. trying to calm him down and um, he just insists on it. And I find the Steve Zahn character fascinating because he is, I mean, it seems to me so far, I've watched four episodes, uh, four of the six episode run, and you've watched three, right? Um, right. But you've seen each, in each episode, he's obsessed with his balls really in a different way. You know, his his... They're, they're cancer, and he's going to die is his story the first week. And then, I'm sorry, I'm going to get into a little bit of the details, uh, folks, so if you want to be completely fresh uh, on the show, maybe skip ahead, but I'm not really ruining anything. He finds, out no. it's not, he finds out it's not cancer, and then, of course, he becomes, you know, Mr. Uh, living life, and I appreciate life so much, fo so much more, <laughs> um, 
And then he gets another bombshell of sorts, and he's and then he's on the prowl, and he needs to. It's like he's sowing his wild oats again, all of a sudden, as a grown dad with teenage kids. Right. Um, but it's just to me, he he's all about his balls, and he's just trying to figure out what his, what his balls mean. And you know, in a less, uh, I'll be less flip about it. He's trying to figure out what he. What his existence as a man means, you can tell he feels like he lives in his wife's shadow. She's this, you know, business, celebrity of the business world, incredibly powerful. Right. But this is just, I don't want to fixate on the balls, but it's an example of the sort of neurotic development that all the yes. characters go through. And to yes, me, go ahead. They're all neurotic. And I also want to know, have they ever talked to each other before they arrived at the White Lotus? Have they ever, <laughs> have they ever had a conversation yeah. with each other or discussed the the future? Anything? Do they know anything about each other as they come to this island? It seems absurd to me. Well, the married couple seems to have done very little talking about the future. Very little. Did you recognize Plop? Uh, you know i forgot he was plop i don't know how um because just like everybody we rewatched the office during the pandemic year yeah um jake lacy plays uh shane um this um son of a rich family who has married uh has married his wife rachel played by alexandra daddario and they, she has not considered, she in particular has not considered how her life is going to change having married into this very wealthy family. And, you know, why I'm surprised you didn't like this show, Mom, because I think here's another interesting, there are all such interesting character studies. I think that um, Rachel didn't really have a vision for her life before she got married, right? She was a freelance journalist. She was kind of stumbling along doing these you know, not really memorable work, not really important right. work. Right. Um, but just kind of moseying along. Then she gets married, and she, as she puts it in one conversation, like now she feels the intense gravity of this wealthy family and their lifestyle um, that is different from the sort of hazy, foggy vision she had for herself and it's just you can see the panic setting in as she realizes this is my life and this is my husband. Now, let me say about right. Jake Lacey, who plays Shane and played played plop on The Office, but also played for a brief spell um, Hannah's boyfriend on Girls. Um, he is just a master of playing. You know, he's got that face, that cute yeah. face. And so yeah. he can play these seemingly sweet and, you know, super handsome, attractive fellas who um, have this selfish, almost menacing, but I think too dumb to be menacing um, undercurrent. Um, he was a little bit of a smarter character on Girls, but there was still like, he seemed like the nice guy. And then it turns out, well, he's actually 
he's more self-centered than you think. And yeah, you look at him and you're like, well, of course he's self-centered because he's gone through life with everybody fawning over him and giving him anything he wants. Because if he just smiles at you, you feel like the sun is shining on you. Right. <laughs> let me let me help this guy. Yeah. But I I also find it uh, amazing that none of these people appears to have ever had a moment of self uh, exploration. They don't seem to know anything about each other, nor do they seem to know anything about themselves. <laughs> Isn't that what's so funny about them? I find it annoying <laughs> to be so, they're so clueless. They're so, not only in the relationships that they're in or that how they interact with other people, but they themselves, especially, especially, is it Rachel, the wife? Her name is Rachel, yes. Especially her. Yeah. Had she not given 10 seconds of thought as to anything, how your life changes when you are when you marry and what you give up and what you gain. And really, there seems like not a, that, like nobody really existed till they came to this hotel. Yeah, but Ma, Which, she, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. She they get at that you know because uh, i it makes sense to me a she's young you know there's not that much introspection going on when you're i don't know how old they're supposed to be but you know late 20s maybe mid 20s um, well let's i would hope they would have a little bit of introspect uh devoted time devoted to that before that age i'm but, sorry but can't you see how she got swept she, they talk a number of times about planning the wedding, and she took off work for a couple of months to just focus on the wedding. And you can see how it all seemed temporary to her, um, you know, as she got sucked into the gravitational well of this family. You can see, you know, her view was, OK, we're past the wedding and now I'm going to get on with my life with my new partner and his view, even though he may not be aware of it as such, is okay, I got you and I'm just adding you to my life. Like she's right. an accessory or, a, um, <clears throat> right. you know, trophy wife, if you want to call right. it that. She is called she's, that on the show. Yeah. She's another trinket in his box yeah. of treasures. Yeah. I get that. But I you can see how him. she didn't see that and got, just got swept in, swept up in, oh, the proposal and oh, then planning the wedding. It was all short term. And now on her honeymoon, she's facing the long horizon of life with this guy. And yes, of course, she's naive and silly to have not considered it more deeply before. But now she is. And um, oh, God, poor Rachel is tortured more than anyone else in this series, with the potentially the exception of Armand, the hotel manager. But um, well, how about the brother? <laughs> he's he's sleeping in the kitchen. He's sleeping on the beach. Everybody kind of treats him like, hey, he's, who's this guy? And what a bother. I mean, you know, how about him? Well, absolutely. I think that's an important part of the show. I mean, they're all connected. But um, yeah, the, so the married couple that we talked about have um, a couple of teenage kids. Um, the sister is older and she has brought her friend along. And the um, teenage boy is just, yeah, everybody treats him like dirt. He does, he can't even sleep in the suite. He's um, His sister forces him to sleep out on the beach. 
He's my favorite. I am I am aligned with him. Um, I know you haven't seen the fourth episode yet, but um, I just love how his attitude is that everybody else, like he can see the cynicism and stupidity of everyone else around him um, because he has no status to protect. Um, he's a teenage white male, straight white male kid. And as Connie Britton's character um, speaks to in one of the episodes, like nobody gives a shit about him. And I think the way that the show is structured, that allows him to have insights on the characters around him mm. um, that lead to him growing, despite the fact that n- nobody gives a shit about him. I'm really interested in, to see where his story in particular uh, ends up, because if there's anybody who I look at and say, that's that guy resonates with me, it's Quinn, um, the teenage son. Well, let me go back and say also that in the first episode, uh, it opens in the airport with the young, what is the young newlywed's husband's name? I I have him. Yeah, Shane. Yeah, Shane. I have him down here as Plop, Plop. which I know isn't right. That's fine. We can call him Plop. Okay. So Shane is in the airport and is questioned by a couple. Oh, uh, where did you stay? He says the White Lotus and... She says, oh, didn't something happen there? And anyway, as it turns out, there is a a casket being transported back from from the White Lotus. But we don't know who's in there. And my solution is that he's the only survivor that everybody else got cremated together and is in that box because I couldn't stand any of them. And I wouldn't be unhappy to know that they all were in that box being transported back. What about Armand? He's not going back. Oh, you think he survives? Well, he's not going on an airplane. He lives on the island. <laughs> oh, I see. Well, it still could be him in the box. We have no idea. Um, but our, our, yeah, Armand is the manager of the hotel. He's played by Murray Bartlett, who I only knew from looking. Um, you didn't watch Looking, did you, Mom? No. No. Um, but uh, as uh, my darling wife put it one night when I said that this uh, show is a so much better um, vehicle for him than Looking was, and I liked Looking a lot. I thought it was a good show. But um, as my wife put it, uh, she said, yeah, on Looking, he basically played uh, old gay man. Um, you know, his character did not have... I think it's true, did not have the sort of refinement and um, funny detail that Armand has. But I think Murray Bartlett as Armand is incredible. Hmm. You don't like him. I, <clears throat> well, let, let me just ask you this. He's ripping off the, the customers. He's a four, He was clean and, and, and sober for five years, and now he's doing drugs and drinking like a fish. What's to like? <laughs> he's been driven to his limit. He's the one at the center of the lotus, of the white lotus, and he just finally has a moment as Plop tortures him over this booking mistake, um, being put in the palm suite instead of the pineapple suite. Um, Which he paid for. Oh, so you're on Plop's side in this argument, huh? Yes, I am. I want some satisfaction. <laughs> Amazing. 
his mother paid for the pineapple. He should be in the pineapple. And Armand screwed it up. He, he double booked it. No, I would like some satisfaction. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people at the White Lotus would like some satisfaction. And that's the thing about the White Lotus. It's never quite what it promises to be. Right, The spa's booked up. The pineapple suite isn't available. Oh, we have scuba diving, but you have to spend eight hours in a pool first. Um, like, everything is just either not quite right or just out of reach at the White Lotus. And it drives these white folks crazy because their attitude is, we paid for it. We paid for the respect and the service and all, and we demand to get it. And, you know, as Rachel says, hey, the Palm Suite's still pretty nice. What are you complaining about? Right? No. It's a no. metaphor. Yeah, it is. No. I, no, I can't, I, I can't live with that. And Daddy is very annoyed with Plop. And I'm saying he's just trying to get. Oh, his, no. Yes. No. Yes he's, yes. he's just trying to get what is due him. Mom, he's paying no attention to his beautiful new wife. He's flirting with the other girls. He's obsessed with haranguing the hotel manager and with winning. He just wants to, and I can see why you sympathize with him, because he just wants to win this fight at this point and be crowned alpha male and um, show this person who he views as lower than himself, who's boss. He's totally detestable, Mom. You cannot be aligned with Plop. Mm. I don't, I, I, uh, ooh, I don't. What I, about his I poor am. wife? You don't sympathize with his wife? I think she's an idiot. She, <laughs> how do you get married? What, you know, did they not live together for a while? Um, who gets married? Who gets married with no knowledge of what it's all about? What it means for your, do you not think, oh, gee, I wonder if I'll work now. Maybe I'll do charity work or maybe you know what who doesn't give any thought any thought at all because she wasn't giving a lot of thought to it before that's the thing she was just sort of ambling along and taking well, she's old enough to be more thoughtful with her life she's not she's not 18 or 17 she's she's a a a, a older 20 year old that's old enough to to know the score a little bit well, I think by episode two, uh, Rachel would agree with you wholeheartedly, Mom, but that's it. She realized a little too late. I mean, I'm not saying, hey, give her the trophy for smartest person in the world award, but, uh, and yes, she came to her realization way too late and was irresponsible, et cetera, et cetera, but God, I, st I still feel for the predicament she's in. Good God. I don't. I don't. It's not like she got on the, the roller coaster ride uh, at, the, at the amusement park and said, oh, my God, I don't like roller coasters. Uh, I just found that out. Okay, that I get. But not getting married... Well, this is why the show is interesting, because you can't have these arguments about it. Um, and <clears throat> every episode reveals something new. I have to say, I found it a little, um, a little pat at first, because in the, uh, after the first episode, you sort of have the surface layer of everybody. Um, yes. And none of it is that unpredictable. It's all pretty straightforward, it seems to me. And they're character types that I felt like um, we had seen before. I felt like the first episode didn't do... After the first episode, it felt like not much work had been done in terms of storytelling. 
mm-hmm. but um, then the next episode adds another layer to everyone, and then the next episode adds another layer. So now at the end of episode four, the depth and complexities of these characters really amazes me, and I think the writing on this show is incredible in the sense that so much of the dialogue... You know, I talk a lot in my criticism about how good dialogue does multiple things at once. Um, it gives you sort of a surface insight, and then it gives you an insight more deeply into the character's motivations. I feel like the dialogue on this show has an earnest level. It has um, a sort of funny level, and it has like a cynical level. And I'll give an example of um, the um, the teenage girl's friend. Uh, her name is Paula. She's off with this uh, fella she's met, this guy who works at the hotel, um, local guy, Hawaiian, and she talks to him about how he's so real. (laughs) And this word real comes up uh, more than once in the show, and I think it's an important idea, but she says to this guy, he's so real. Now, you laugh because it's, that's the funny level, right? She's like, she's so young, she has no idea what what real is she lives in this constructed world of social media and influencers and and all that um so when she says that he's real because what because he works for a living because he um because because of the color of his skin on what basis is she deeming this guy real after having known him for hours that's the funny part of it the earnest part of it is she's seeking like everybody at the white lotus she's seeking something real she senses on some level maybe not quite conscious but senses on some some level the fakeness and unreality of her existence and despite her air of moral certainty she like all of us is not actually quite so certain about the world and is seeking some real connection um the cynical level of it to me is she's saying to him, you're real and therefore so am I because I can see that you're real. Right. And yes. So she's sort yes. of keeping him for herself because she segues straight from this you're so real business into, um, you know, my friend, my anything I have, my friend wants wants to have for herself. Um, she just can't tolerate me having something that she doesn't have. Um which proves to be a pretty keen observation, but also gives us insight into the motive of this realness because she's saying basically to him, you're real, I'm real, she's not, so, un- left unsaid, stay away from her, right? She's sort of right. building right. Quite, quite wisely, as we later see, she's building a fence around this guy for herself. Now, that's one little exchange that works on so many different levels, but that's just an example to me of how after the characters, the foundation for the characters had been laid, uh, Mike White, who uh, wrote the series, really um, found a way in the dialogue to allow those rich pictures to surface and develop all the time. I mean, um, I just think the series gets richer and richer as as it goes on. Well, I tend to believe what you're saying. Um, <clears throat> one one component that I do find missing is that there's usually a, I know there's a word for this, but usually there's a measuring stick or a constant or somebody that's normal that sure. that just. Yeah, voice of reason or whatever. There is nothing like that in this show. <laughs> and I tend to like that. Because it shows me uh, that I'm 
I don't trust myself, I guess, enough to know that I'm really getting it. But if there was a constant in there, you know, even if it was a, uh, you know, so far, the only person that is somewhat like that for me is the spa. Yeah, Belinda. Yeah, lady. Gonna, yeah. Yeah, and, except. Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> except she's got herself involved with a woman that's come here to spread her mother's ashes. And she's very needy, very needy. And, um, you know, is like a grown up baby. It's like watching baby Huey as a, uh, a, a real person. <laughs> yes. Yes. A grown up baby. Um, this is Jennifer Coolidge's character, Tanya McQuad. Um, and she she has this uh, spot treatment, pretty typical, I think, uh, sort of new agey spot treatment with uh, Belinda um, as soon as she arrives almost at the White Lotus and basically falls in love with her. They go out. To, yeah, they go out to dinner together. Tanya mentions, oh, Belinda, you should have your own business. And I'm the type of person who could fund that. Um, and your heart breaks a little bit as you see. Uh, Belinda latch on to this. Yeah. Two seconds after Tanya says that, she turns to the family at the other table and says, you have a beautiful family. You know, she's just talking. Um, yes. Now, they do follow up on this, and it does continue to develop, so it's not a total throwaway, but Belinda latches on to it. And that conversation with her son, did you see that scene where she's on the yes. phone with her son? And he says, hey, yeah. if she says jump, you ask how high. So she right. ends up, you know, out on the boat as Tanya's trying to spread her mother's ashes. And the look, the, <laughs> Natasha Rothwell is the name of the actress. She was on Insecure as well. You might recognize her from um, that. But um, you, the, she plays it so well because she's, you know, she's supporting Tanya and, and you know, really being a great, uh, crazily good friend to this crazy person. But the look on her face the whole time just has a little bit of like, uh, what am I doing here? And what have I gotten myself into? And how long do I have to, is this forever? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and my answer to her is yes, it's forever. Because once somebody like that figures out, you know, what turns your lock, they know how to do it. Oh, so you think Tanya is consciously manipulating uh, Belinda? I, I, I don't know that she's consciously. I know yeah. that's how she lives her life. Yeah, yeah, well put. I think that's right. Um, well, proceed to episode four because uh, things, all right. develop. things develop. Things okay. develop in an interesting way on that front. Uh, things develop on all fronts. Who do you think's in the box? Ah. Uh, who do I think is in the box? Well, it's not Plop. That's all we know. Plop survives. That's right. You don't want to take a guess? Uh, no, I'm going to take a guess. Um, okay. thinking, though. Uh, I guess I, I'm not totally happy with this choice, but I do have to say all along I have assumed it's Rachel in the box. As have I, only because he seems so... Uh, bereft. Yeah, but not quite as bereft as you would imagine. No, uh, right. He no. seems um, he seems as mournful as this asshole would might be. But right, you know, I think that I think that because in that scene, um, that very first scene, the people at the airport are saying, "Where's your wife? Where's your wife?" And then yeah, we cut yeah. to this. So uh, 
you know, the show intentionally leads you into thinking that she's in the box, which now that I say it makes me believe that she's not. And it's, and right. it's someone else. Right. But, but that's our best guess for right now. That's our best guess. Uh, that's your guess as well. Rachel's that in the box. That was my guess as well. Yeah. Unless she's off getting some Garrett's popcorn. That's my. <laughs> At the airport. That's my yeah. guess. Yeah. It's your favorite diversion. Yes. Okay. Good. Well, it's clear that I love this uh, series, but Mom, what is your grade for The White Lotus? Well, I give it an F because I just, I, I want to like somebody and I don't. Okay. But are you going to finish the series now or are you done? Yes, I am. Okay. Good. Because I want to know who's in the box. Yeah. Um, I will, oh, I don't know if I should warn you about episode four, but there may or may not be a brief glimpse of face in ass. And I just know from our... Oh, my God! I know from our long ago... Did we review girls on the TV show, on the AV Club TV show? I just remember a Pop Mom segment. Yeah, it was on the TV show, yeah, where you had to talk about an episode of Girls... um, Yes. ...that involved said act and uh, resurfaces. I I think HBO loves this act because it can be... It feels so graphic, but you're not showing any genitalia, right? So they can get that extremity of sexual content without um, actually running afoul, without being explicitly pornographic. All right. The White Lotus gets an F. Didn't see that coming. Uh, Mom, uh, you had a recommendation last week that was like a cliffhanger recommendation. We were going to find out if you liked the book you were tentatively recommending. So let's hear about that book as uh, as this week's recommendation. What was the book? The book was called, I think this is right, The Phone Booth at the, end of the, at the Edge of the World. I think that's what it's called. You it's don't even know? Well, it's over on the ledge, and I didn't want to get up and make noise. The phone booth at the edge of the world. Is that it? That is, yeah. By Laura Imai Messina. Who is an Italian lady who grew up in... uh, Her story is very confusing. But anyway, this is a Japanese story. This is a true place... Uh, The story is not true, but this is a true place. A man installed uh, a phone booth and it doesn't connect to anything. And people make a pilgrimage here. Thousands of people every year come to this phone booth to speak to dead people. This is the true part. This is the true part. Wow, okay. And uh, they come here and they... uh, the wind carries their voice away and they can, you know, get from it whatever they're trying to get from it. Mm, it heartbreaking. It, yeah. And uh, I have to say just just that description was really all I needed. The story is, uh, is how two people uh, meet on coming here to speak to their loved ones and um, – it's pretty predictable, but the whole idea is very uh, thoughtful to me. Hmm. It's a very interesting idea. You know, Catholic people go to church and light candles and everybody has their ritual. And this one seems very um, right up there, I think. Why not? 
Uh, but it seems like you are more compelled to buy the phone booth as the work of art than the novel. Yes. Okay. So because yeah, go yeah. Ahead. This is a this is a story I'd never heard before, and I'm sure there's many many more um, that come from Japan uh, because they think totally differently than we do. It seems. Well, in some respects, yeah. You know their their views on on death are very different than ours, and uh, and aging and things like that. So I'm pretty fascinated by it. But not enough to recommend the book. I would recommend the book because I think it's uh, for certain people um, at a certain point in your life. I think it is a very reassuring and lovely story. It's not going to knock your socks off, but it's a, a very nice story. Okay, so if you were on tenterhooks since last week's episode, we can now <laughs> confirm that Mom does recommend The Phone Booth at the Edge of the World by Laura Imai Messina. Uh, but you have another recommendation this week. Is that right, Mom? I do. Because I have gone back to the library, I have a whole range of books now. And I am going to also recommend Sully, S-O-O-L-E-Y by John Grisham. It is a basketball story of a young man from Sudan who is given an opportunity to play basketball in the USA and at the same time tells a story of the war in Sudan and what it has done to his family and his village, uh, etc. And it's a, it's a very graphic at times and compelling story. And then Suli becomes a high-powered Southern lawyer who cracks the case. And uh... <laughs> and his brother did it. Yeah. No. <laughs> You're so John fresh. Grisham? Yes. This is a John Grisham book. Wow. It is, yeah. Okay. Uh, didn't expect that one. Suli by John Grisham. I guess he's, uh, I, I guess he has branched out in his later years, hasn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, how many Southern yes. lawyer stories can you tell? And he's, he seems to be branching out into sort of a sports area because I think he oh. wrote a baseball. And... Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Good for him. Yeah. Okay. So that's Suley, S-O-O-L-E-Y by John Grisham. Uh, that'll do it for this week's edition of Pop Mom. Mom and I will be back next week to talk about more pop culture. And we're going to talk about... Oh, oh, the, my paper is blank here. Oh, Mom, help me out. Oh, Something interesting. That's it. Something interesting. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the show, tell your friends. And we'd love to get email. It's popmom at ological.net. Talk to us about anything, because we love you. Mom and I will talk to you again next week. Bye for now, Mom. Bye, Johnny. I love you. Love you, too. <laughs>